0: in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: First of all, neighbors, I'd like to make a special shout out to HelloFresh for supporting the Paracast. Receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code PARACAST30. We're here Ready to ask the hard questions of MUFON's executive director, Jan Harzan. He'll join us in a few minutes, but first, we're going to cover some other stuff. Now, Chris, you've been fighting colds ever since you decided to attend a couple of UFO events.
2: Yeah, it's airplane air. Uh, it just, uh, I'm going to have to start wearing... I'm going Japanese and wearing my dust masks and... Filters when I go on airplanes, it's just it's really, really uh, an issue. I'm I'm very susceptible to uh, picking up little bugs here and there and and fighting them off. And if I have to get my heating, my HVAC guy in here and figure out why where I'm living, the heat doesn't work. I woke up and it was in the 40s here this morning, which is not conducive for getting over colds and that sort of thing. I'm all bundled up in my hoodie and. I've got a little heater trying to keep my feet warm right now and but it's all good. I'm sure we'll be able to figure all that out in the well, meantime. Just haven't really attempted to look into, you know, what the uh electrical situation is with the thermostat and everything. There may be a battery that needs to be changed or something. I don't know. It's a new place. I've not really had the heat on, so uh you know, it's getting used to uh and acclimated to the um electronics and and the system here, so that's uh, just something I got to do. But it's all good. Um, things are things are going good otherwise uh, with me, but we'll um, have to preserve judgment. And I'm working on a uh, California tour, speaking tour for January. It looks like I've got three places lined up, and I'm working on possibly expanding it up to uh, Oregon and Washington. And of course, speaking in OC, this will be my fourth or fifth time going down to Jan Harzen's neck of the woods uh you know and you say we're going to be asking the hard questions yeah we will be but but don't forget you know jan has helped us uh with the san luis valley camera project and you know orange county oc uh has helped us uh they've also had me down there to speak and they're they're considering having me down there to speak again so i'm gonna i'm gonna leave the <laughs> the real hard questions to you gene because you know i you know i'll be perfectly honest here uh I, you know, I do obviously have quite quite a bit of problems with MUFON uh, right now. I think, and we're going to obviously be discussing this. Uh, there are some real major issues that I have. I take exception to. I think MUFON should uh, should, you know, it's a it's a, let's put it this way. It's a very fine line between entertainment and the scientific investigation of the UFO phenomenon. Uh, it's. A very fine line uh in this day and age, and I'm gonna have to be uh extra careful politically uh correct and all those sorts of things with how I deal with with some of these tough questions gene i you know I'm putting it out there i I'm, I'm i mean move on it's not like they are funding the San Luis Valley camera project they put in a few hundred dollars but but you know I don't like to bite the hand that 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 feeds me uh so to speak and is trying to move the process forward and uh and plus, they're inviting me down to uh, to speak there at uh, you know MUFON OC, of course, where Jan has been a long-time fixture. So I'm uh, going to have to leave the bad cop. But
1: <laughs> okay, the long and short of it is, Chris, <laughs> let Jan hate me and not you. That's the way it is, right?
2: Well, no, I don't want Jan to hate anybody, Gene. I mean, if you're in this to have people hate you, I'm, I'm, I've got the wrong freaking co-host here, okay?
1: <laughs> well, you know I, what it is? In this field, people will hate you no matter what. I'll give you an example of that. We've had some reviews on YouTube for the recent Jacques Vallée appearance where you were talking about the San Luis Valley Project and I just cut out one of the messages where somebody was saying, well, you're just in it to fundraise. And that was Yeah, it.
2: Th- that I am, right?
1: <laughs> to raise funds for this project of yours, you were somehow no. roping in Vallée, which was preposterous because that is not what you were talking about during the episode? No,
2: not at all. And if I was only in this to fundraise, I would have had Kickstarter, GoFundMe, you you know, you fund it programs uh, coming out the wazoo years ago. Well, you know something real interesting here. What is it? Here?
1: Tom DeLong has had this fundraising project to the stars, whatever, and we haven't run the link, but some people have. I think he's up to like a million and a half or two million dollars no, now. Two million dollars, almost. Two million, gosh, and that's pretty fast. You have to think here: how many projects raise that kind of capital, unless it's for a retail product?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I just there's a sucker born every minute. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, but you know, all that money is is going to offset losses in other uh, ventures that he's already tried to do which has been very well demonstrated with several very good posts um, that I've read online about how the the whole thing is being set up in terms of a business uh, structure in the corporate, the corporate side. Um, so I'm going to be very interested to see what kind of dividend is going to be produced for all this investment. Well,
1: with the assumption here that if you – pay what upwards of two hundred dollars that's the minimum well minimum right 200. if you invest at least two hundred dollars wouldn't you expect to have some kind of return from it
2: well it depends on 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 how the uh the class b stock is set up and uh, it, you know there's a lot of um, sec mandated ins and outs on this i i have been involved in some startups and 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 know a little bit about this, not much. Uh, and and there are variations depending on the type of startup it is. I would just assume that everybody, if they were you know even halfway intelligent, would not expect a dime of return on their investment if they're you know a small a small kind of you know hundred dollar uh, level you know hundreds of dollar level investor. Uh, when you're starting to put in four or five figures. Then I would I'm sh- I would hope that their sophistication level of sophistication would be enough so that they would not be investing in something that uh, was was a uh, just throwing their money away. Um, I would hope someone would a sophisticated investor. I think is the term that the SEC uses um, would uh, would have enough smarts to uh, to fully look at the potential upside and downside of any any sort of investment scenario. I don't see this as being a viable investment in any stretch of the imagination. I see a bunch of guys that are recently retired from the intelligence communities, aerospace, physics, that sort of thing, looking for a possible uh, vehicle to attach themselves to, to maybe generate a little income in their retirement. And an absolute neophyte dupe who's sitting as the figurehead, uh, who has, quote, read all the books, so he, quote, knows everything. (laughs) Anybody that can make such an asinine statement as that, and act, actually be taken seriously, uh, says volumes about the uh, the level of intelligence that we have in the in the, uh, in the uf- ufological community out there. And I, I uh, of course, our listeners uh, are the exception to that. But uh, it's a sad, it's a sad uh, state of affairs. Um, if anybody thinks Tom DeLong has a snowball's chance in hell of producing anything worth value, anything worth furthering our knowledge about these wonderful subjects, I think you are an absolute fool if you buy into anything that this guy is promising. Now, I
1: should point out here something we mentioned with Kevin Randall since he's written on the subject. It looks like at least some of the sources that Tom DeLong claims to have are
2: just the UFO books he's read. (laughs) The wrong UFO books he's read. Right. And and look at some of the videos he's touting. I mean, obvious CGI hoaxes. Hello, people. Wake up. Hello. McFly, is anybody in there?
1: We're going to have Jan Harzan, the executive director of MUFON, coming up. We'll also remind you that we're going to, as always invite you to join the Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com where you get the After the Paracast podcast and lots more goodies. More goodies to come. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy
3: you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-774-3149 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-774-3149. Again, that's eight hundred seven seven four three one four nine. 800 774 3149 Most people
4: think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But did you know you can have tax-free access to your life insurance while you're still alive? You can use the life benefits of your life insurance to grow your money with certainty and guarantees. No stock market risk, no tax risk, and no penalties. Call Life Benefits if you'd like a free book about how this can be done. Call 702-660-7000. That's 702-660-7000.
5: This just in,
6: before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com, just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at Paracast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: So I'm looking here, and I'm connecting on Skype with Jan Harzan. And what do I see an avatar that looks remarkably like Ron James after being up for about 48 hours straight. And I'm wondering here is Ron James shape shifting to become Jan Harzan? Jan, tell us it's not so.
7: <laughs> Gene, you're funny. No, I, that, that's what most that's people don't left-
1: agree with you on.
7: Yeah, that's an avatar left over from the uh, 2017 symposium where we were trying to Skype in uh, Gary McKinnon from England. Ron borrowed my computer and set it up. So I have to change the avatar back, I guess. huh? I
1: would recommend it. I don't want people to be frightened off.
7: Yeah, it's a good idea. Take care right after this call.
1: Now, before we got started with you, we were talking briefly about this fundraising thing going on with Tom DeLong, where this To The Stars project, he's raised like $2 million so far in just a few weeks. And you got to think, what's he doing that you're not doing?
7: I, I'm asking myself that same question, Gene. Pretty phenomenal. I think I think he's got some big money backers helping. I haven't looked through the actual how many donations and what what uh, size they are. But uh, hey, my hat's off to him. I mean, boy, if you couldn't raise two million dollars in about a month, that's that's a pretty phenomenal thing, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I just uh, I was mentioning to Gene before you came on, Jan, that uh, anybody that's hoping for some sort of investment uh, return on investment. Uh, Boy, I'll tell you, there's a sucker born every minute on this planet if that's the case. Because I don't see a snowball's chance in hell of these folks, no matter matter how well-intentioned and how grandiose the vision. I don't see anything coming out of this except maybe some bad sci-fi entertainment or something. uh, Which uh, we'll talk about that whole subject here as we go on today. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm just. I'm not getting a good feeling about it.
7: (laughs) Well, I think you need to separate the investment uh, aspect of it from from who's doing the talking, because you know the one thing we all want in ufology is for disclosure. I mean, we're all clamoring for the president of the United States or somebody of significance to step to a podium and and lay it out to us exactly what's going on. This may be as close as we get to a disclosure. If you look at the caliber of the people who were on stage with Tom.
1: understand here, not all of us, Jan, believe that disclosure is ever going to happen or that the government knows enough to disclose. I think think here, if they don't have answers, they're not going to admit that, right?
7: Well, I I think you you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I don't think our government has the knowledge to disclose. Whoever is working this behind the scenes uh, has got it so well buried and so well hidden that even people working in the government, like Christopher Mellon, Chris contacted me about two years ago wanting to get involved with MUFON, and he and I chatted, and he's got a very deep uh, background in uh, working in Congress uh, as a staffer for uh, the Senate Minority, I think, leader for the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's worked with Department of Defense. He's worked with intelligence. He knows quite a few people up there on the Hill. And his question to me, the reason he wanted to talk to me is he wanted to ask me the question, what are these triangles? And, and my, my answer back to him was very simple. I said, well, I, Chris, I was hoping you could tell me that, right? Because <laughs> cause we think they're ours, you know? Yeah. His answer to me was, well, they're not ours. They're somebody else's. So, you know, so whose are they? And, and that's kind of a frightening thing. I mean, if the people who are talking to the highest levels of uh, our, um, the NSA, the CIA, the, the military don't know what these things are, that's kind of a frightening thought.
1: But then you're assuming they do know what these things are.
7: I think somebody knows what these things are. I think our problem with this whole thing is it's so well compartmentalized that uh, it's hidden from (laughs) the guy standing in the room next to you doesn't know what you know, and you don't know what the guy in the other room knows. And so we, we need to somehow bring this out into the light and begin discussing it. And I see that as kind of this TTS. If there's one thing that it can do is maybe get a conversation going with, Military people, intelligence people who who aren't on the inside. I mean, there are obviously some. I believe there be some.
2: You're leaving out a major component, and that's the aerospace industry. Uh, you know, the high tech private sector. Well, I yeah. mean, that's where that's where all these you know secrets are being buried. I mean, to me, it's obvious, Chris. That's a good point. And one
7: of the people on that panel was from the Lockheed Martin uh, Skunk Works. So. You know, I, I go back to my conversation some 34 years ago now with Ben Rich, where he said we have the technology to take ET home. If it's been 34 years and we've had that technology, what have we done with it? I mean, we didn't sit on it. Somebody had to do something with it. So I, I, I think it, it, this could be the crack in the door to get disclosure, if not directly through the people who've already done it, is maybe to recreate it in the white world. So that's a, that's my hope. That's my, uh, you know, I think that's a possibility that could happen. Uh, whether it does happen, I don't, you know, who knows. But, I mean, I'm looking at it as, okay, we have some very, very high-level, well-connected people in, in the Department of Defense, in our intelligence community, in our private industry, in our Congress, uh, government, you know, doing their own personal research in the case of Hal Putoff. If these guys can't make it happen, I I don't know who can. I mean, I, I mean, I'd love for Trump to just invade Area Fifty One and divulge all the secrets. but I don't think <laughs> it's going to happen.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, and and immediately demand that a McDonald's be put there for all his visits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so in
7: my director's message to the four thousand MUFON members this month, I I basically said, look, I mean, this is a pretty significant event to have happened. And privately, I've told people, look, you, you the, the investment decision is yours. If you want to invest in it, fine. I would look at it as a donation, not a, like you're going to get a return on it. But that's just me. But on the other hand, I said, in talking with Chris Mellon, because uh, I did call him after this announcement just to kind of find out more about what this, what this whole thing and what their hope was, his belief is that if we can get Congress to look at this one case – from 2004 on the Nimitz, where I think it was three different F 18s got scrambled and they chased this craft uh, around the skies and got it on you know, gun camera f- footage of it, that that may open the door. Now, his words to me were Jan, we're not going to go into Congress with we want to talk about alien bodies or crash saucers or this. We're going to say, look, there was this incident on a major aircraft carrier in the US Navy of. A device that that they chased—a device of high technology. Whose was it? You know, and you ask that question, and you have an inquiry, which is a could be a closed door inquiry, could be an open door inquiry. And the uh, congressmen and senators start asking questions of these pilots and look and reviewing the gun camera footage. And pretty soon, it becomes like, well, whose technology? If this is not our technology, whose technology is it? That opens the door to how many more of these things have there been. Yeah, but you're
1: going back in time here, which I kind of like to do, and people say, I'm stuck in the 50s. And back in the 50s, Major Kehoe and NICAP were lobbying for congressional hearings. They got the hearings in the 1960s, and they got the Condon Committee. And where'd that go? Of course, MUFON came after that, as we know, you know, when you started up in 69 as the Midwest UFO Network. I remember.
7: Yeah. Well, you know, in in fact, I. When this this all broke, I I called a number of different people in the UFO community, one of them being uh, Stephen Greer, to ask him, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Let's
1: Mm -hmm. stop right here, and let me do a break. We'll get into more of what Jan did and about disclosure and things like that, and we have a bunch of questions about MUFON to ask. More to come with Gene and Chris. You're in The (laughs) Paracast.
6: This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com, just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com.
12: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: A reminder once again, very quickly, to check out the Paracast Plus. We feature the After the Paracast podcast and lots and lots of goodies. We even offer access, exclusive access to the first two episodes of Haunted, this Canadian ghost hunting show from Paul Kimball and Holly Stevens but it's a little tricky to do it. You kind of have to send a private message in our forums to Paul to give you the password, but only Paracast Plus members can get it. Check out plus dot Now, we have Jan Harzan, Executive Director of MUFON. We we're mentioning Jan before we split for a quick break. Getting in touch with Stephen Greer. Now, you know, as we know that You know, his reputation is kind of shaky these days. Was that the right move to make?
7: Yeah, Well, he he wasn't the only guy I talked to. I talked to a number of different people. But but go ahead. Finish your comment, and then we'll go in. Well, I think it's fairly obvious
1: in terms of Greer. I think in the early days, it looked like he was strictly looking for some kind of disclosure. Now he appears to just be in it for himself, to be blunt.
7: Well, yeah, and then that's a whole other discussion. You know, I, I've known Stephen for 25 years. Yeah, um, as have I. <laughs> yeah, as has Chris. You know, I think that the disclosure project back in 2001 was a huge event that got some eyeballs on this whole topic. Yeah. And of course, Steve Bassett followed up with it several years later, about four, three, four, five years ago, yeah. uh, did another great disclosure event. The difference yeah. between those events. And what happened here on October 11th is it was the insiders doing the disclosure. It wasn't right. it wasn't ufologists or people who have a interest in this topic bringing their you know military and defense friends together. Or, it, it,
2: you know. so to me,
7: it, it's a different thing that happened here on well, October. It's a major 11th.
2: step forward. There's no question, Jan, that this is a major development. But when it comes to Stephen Greer, like I told him back in '94. His message is more important than he is.
7: <laughs> yes, and I don't disagree with
2: it. You know, I think I think in this
7: field, we all need to lose our egos because there are too many egos in this field, and it, it's hurting things. We we need to be focused on what the mission is, which is <laughs> discovering the truth behind these craft that are seen in our skies daily. I mean, reports pour in every day to move on on these things. So now the two things I've heard about this whole TTS thing – I've been watching kind of the chatter even within MUFON of people talking about it. There seem to be two major concerns. One is the financial aspects of it from an investment standpoint. And the other uh, is this, quote, evil alien tone. You know, I didn't hear any evil alien tone on this uh, call. And I've talked to Hal Puthoff. I've talked to Chris Mellon. I don't know the other gentlemen uh, personally, so I, didn't, I haven't talked to them. But I don't pick up any evil alien tones in this thing. And, and what I told uh, individuals who were concerned about this is, look, the first thing we need to do is make this a major conversation among the general public. Because what I find, I don't know what you guys do, but when I talk to people, I mean friends, church members, uh, club members, people I just know through many associations, the general attitude is, oh, interesting, but, but they aren't really, they really aren't interested in this. I had coffee with the CEO of a restaurant company here just two days ago, and he wanted to know more about what I did because he heard about, you know, MUFON. But when we got done with the whole thing, his comment to me was, well, this is all very interesting, he says, but, you know, it really doesn't affect me, so I'm not going to even spend any time thinking about it. And to me, that's just, like, frightful because you have advanced intelligences from wherever they're coming from, coming here, interacting with people on this planet. And the general population is completely clueless other than maybe watching an occasional something on the sci-fi channel or history or whatever. But we've got to wake up the world (laughs) that this is going on, right? Well, you know,
1: the thing I want to ask you then, are you more interested in getting out the message or evangelizing UFO reality or engaging in scientific research to know exactly what they really
7: are? Well, for me, it's the latter. I mean, but first you have to wake up the world because here's our problem. Our problem is today scientists and engineers don't want to work on and not that they don't want to work on this, but they can't work on it because if they do, they get ostracized. They get marginalized. I mean, scientists don't want to touch the word. You notice that these people always put it in other words, unidentified aerial phenomenon, uh, you know. I loved Hillary's comment, you know, we don't call it UFOs, we call it unidentified aerial phenomena. Well, I don't care what you call it, it's a UFO. Yeah, yeah it's the same so, thing. Yeah, but but these beings, are well, whoever they are, are, are so far advanced from us, I mean, whether it's a hundred years more, a thousand years more, or a million years more, that if we would just take the time to study and understand it from a physics standpoint, there's no reason why we couldn't advance our own civilization hundreds of years. And I think that was said in the trailer to this TTS by help, uh, no. help put off, or one of the scientists, we could leap forward to the 25th century if we pay attention to this. Yeah. And the, the problem is today, scientists can't study it. There's no funding out of the National Science Foundation.
2: They, well, well, anything- not, yeah, not only that, Jam, but we just had John Alexander on here a couple of weeks ago, and that's been his mantra ever since yes. I've been listening to his public statements, is we have to make it. You know, um, allowable for scientists to profess an interest, just to profess an interest in the subject, yes. without having them uh, to to be in fear of, of, of research grant money, uh, tenure, any sort of uh, academic ridicule. We have to take the 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 stigma off this subject, and and, and we can't do anything until that happens. Well, exactly, and so now you have you have guys who are like you know the I don't know, I don't know about the
7: number two guy in the CIA. You've got people who are in the intelligence community within the Department of Defense. You've got a guy who worked within Congress. If if these guys can get Congress to look at this thing and legitimize it as something worth studying, I, I think it just opens the door wide open to allow exactly that to happen, and that's why I would be supportive
1: of it. Right, but the thing I wonder about here is how far you push the message. If you say, let's look for these interstellar visitors, you know, well, it then becomes it science fiction. We- but if you say, we have these events, things yeah. are being seen, they seem to exhibit intelligent control, we photograph them, sometimes they see beings in connection with them, etc. Therefore, we have a mystery that we need to understand. Let's see what's going on. That may be more politically correct, which is, I think, why some people avoid specifying any final answer or conclusion, it's better to say, here's what's going on that we don't understand, that's not being explained, let's figure it out. Do you see the distinction?
7: Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying, Gene. I mean, you've got to approach it very cautiously. And, and I think that's what Chris uh, Mellon is trying to do with this whole 2004 Nimitz case. Is, is He's not going in there saying, we had a flying saucer from Zeta Reticuli flying around our skies, let's go look into it. Basically, they're saying, look, there was this incident, on the Nimitz, where jet fighter craft were scrambled to a possible, you know, called a threat, whatever you want to call it. And they captured some technology, which is so far advanced, uh, that it's amazing. And oh, guess what? It's not ours. You know, so whose is it? Is it the Russians? Is it the Chinese? No, no. I mean, you know, and so you go down the track. Well, how many more of these incidents have there been? Well, I can just tell you from the reports we get, there's been a lot of these types of incidents on our military aircraft. Uh, we all know that these objects tend to go to military installations, nuclear power plants, and places where anti-gravity research is being done. I mean, that's just been the history of this phenomenon. That, that's, where, that's where these things are seen many, many times. So, I don't know what else to say. I, I just... Let me ask you, I'm going to
1: ask you a bigger question, which is, all right, you guys have been at it since 1969. What is that, 48 years?
7: 48 years. Yeah,
1: seems like only yesterday. And we're going to have to split in a minute for a piece of business. But let's focus on that for a second. Based on what you knew then and what you know now about what's going on, and I think we'll hold the answer to our next segment. But based on the awareness of what the original founders of the Midwest UFO Network knew in nineteen sixty-nine based on what you folks know now in 2017. What in general have you learned about the UFO phenomenon? I'm gonna ask that question now and we'll have a chance to answer our next segment with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paragast. <laughs>
6: This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want, get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com, just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click
4: GCNWellness.com. Want revenge on the common housefly? Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. $39.95 plus shipping and handling. Use discount code GCN and receive 15% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly and get your Bug Assault today.
14: If you're an unincorporated business owner, it's too late for you. That is, if you've already been sued and lost your home, your car, and your personal life savings. But, if you haven't been sued yet, there is still time to incorporate and protect your personal assets. And the first step is just a phone call away. Because Incorporate.com is now giving away a free incorporation toolkit to all business owners, including exclusive information on how to start and grow your business. For your free incorporation toolkit, call now. 1-800-936-9256. Incorporation is the shield that protects your personal assets. Without you could lose everything that's why at incorporate.com they just make incorporating or forming an llc quick and easy they don't provide legal or financial advice if someone sues tomorrow will you lose everything don't wait until it's too late call now for your free incorporation toolkit hurry they're still giving them away for free at 1-800-936-9256 call 1-800-936-9256 that's 1-800-936-9256
3: Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So, Jan Harzan, what have you guys learned over the 48 years?
7: That's a broad question, Gene. Thanks for asking it. Well, I think... One thing for sure is that these objects are real. And, of course, we've known that for the better part of the 48 years. Um, They appear to exhibit advanced physics that we don't currently understand, or at least we don't understand in the white world. I think from my own mindset, they appear to be able to manipulate space and time. I mean, I don't know from my own personal experiences. I mean, they, they seem to be able to manipulate space and time, which means that they could come from any place in space and time they don't necessarily need to be from this universe here they could be from another universe they don't necessarily need to be from this solar system or this star system but it is it is something that is so far advanced from our understanding of how reality is shaped how consciousness is shaped that it begs further exploration into all of these areas to try to figure it out now I've had the opportunity over the last two years to be welcomed into a community of physicists and scientists who are working on uh, advanced UFO propulsion. And one of those being James Woodward, who spoke at our 2017 symposium up in Las Vegas, um, in his laboratory where he was showing me uh, some mock effects, which are part of uh, Einstein's general theory of relativity, as he was showing me his experiments and things he was working on. Uh, He stopped and he said, Jan, you know, some point in the future, maybe a hundred years from now, then he paused and he said, no, maybe 20 or 30 years from now, you'll be able to wear a device on your wrist and you'll be able to put in a time and a place, press a button and your own personal wormhole will open up and you'll be able to step through to that place in time. Now, I'm thinking to myself, well, that would certainly explain a lot of what we're seeing (laughs) in the UFO phenomenon, right? Just think of Skinwalker Ranch and the things they reported happening up there. Um, you know, I, I just think it's so phenomenally, you know, incredible that we really need to step into that future, um, which is why I've been involved in this whole thing since the day I had my own close encounter at the age of 10. Because I realized that the technology these craft are displaying and, and these beings who probably fly them is something that if we could quickly get there, we could really solve a lot of problems on this planet. So the search is still going on, Gene. I mean, it's not conclusive. I mean, even if they came out tomorrow and said, yes, absolutely, these are from extraterrestrials or from interdimensionals or however you want to put it, and they know this, that, and the other, I don't think it'll close because I think that'll only open the curiosity box for most people who will want to know more about, well, who are these beings, where are they from, why are they here, Uh, what is our relationship to them. So I think there's a whole lot more that needs to be done in this whole space space. I'm challenging our ERT team to to try to pull some of this data together because I think that's the next step for this whole field, which is, okay, great. We know they're real. We actually now understand how they get here from there. But now we want to learn more about who they are.
1: Well, we don't understand how they get here from there. We are theorizing.
7: Well, yeah, no, but I'm saying, but, but I'm talking at a point in the future, let's say 10 years from now, 20 years. We We now understand that. At that point, I think... Uh, and it's general knowledge to the average guy in the street that we're being visited on a regular basis by other intelligences. I think their next question in their mind is going to be, well, who are these people? Right? I mean, that, That'd be the logical question you'd ask.
1: Well, then we have to also assume if they are extraterrestrials, interdimensionals, whatever. How long have they really been here? Because we could talk about the so-called ancient astronauts, about weird things happening all through the centuries, not just something that started in 1947. And in that case, if you have an intelligence that's been here so long and we assume have continued to develop their technology, would we even be able to recognize it? I mean, Mm -hmm. if they can open up a wormhole and go from here to there, why would they need flying saucers?
7: That's a good question. I mean, that's the question when people go down the track of demonology – but I always say, "Well, why do demons need a craft to fly from here to there?"
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, as Captain Kirk said once, "Why
1: does God need a spaceship?"
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, again, I, I you know, I, I need to interject something here. I, I'm constantly asked by you know people. They find out, you know, however, that I'm I'm interested in all these types of subjects, and they go, you know, some of the only, oh, you're into aliens, and I my stock answer is always, "Well, wait a minute, how do you know?" Th- that they're the aliens? How do we know that we're not the aliens and that they've been here longer than we have and we aren't even from here? You know, people make all these knee-jerk assumptions that we're dealing with visitors from elsewhere and that we're the ones that are supposed to be here. It may be topsy-turvy. It may be 180 degrees different. And until we're able to establish just the playing field, And 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 the players uh, obviously in the playing field, I think, would be the next step. But but until until we're able to make some very basic um, determinations, I mean, we're we're going to be spinning our wheels. And maybe that's why this whole phenomenon is here to begin with. Uh, Going back to you know Valet one oh one, maybe this is just some sort of collective sort of control mechanism. To pull us off planet, let's say, to go out and see the universe, to to to, to take some of the pressure off the wonderful uh, biodiversity and the environment here. Uh, you know, maybe this is just some sort of ruse to get us off planet. That it has nothing to do with other intelligences, other creatures, other agendas. Uh, you know, technologically based uh, scenarios. Um, that are grounded in some sort of other civilization, let's say. Um, you know, Until we, I think, really grasp the full philosophical implications of what we're dealing with, I don't think we have a snowball's chance in hell of figuring out what it is that we're dealing with, why they're here, and what their agenda is.
7: Yeah, well, Chris, along those lines, I mean, I think this is kind of where you were going with it. I mean, this, this could be a civilization that um, grew up on Earth, you know, a million years ago, and for whatever reason, decided to go underground, right? Or go under the oceans or wherever they went. And
2: so it could just be past civilizations from this from our own planet, right? That's another possibility. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I've always thought, I've always had the uh, sense that we're dealing with other tenants in the building. And that uh, possibly reptilians are dinosaurs that actually evolved before the end of the Cretaceous, went off planet, got off planet to save themselves. And now coming back to uh you know, check out uh, you know the old the old stomping grounds and see if maybe they want to reappropriate the uh, the real estate. Yeah. When you talk about ancient civilizations
1: leaving the Earth, that's the classic legend of the Deros and the Tiros from Richard Shaver.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, 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 and well, there's I, a ring to it. Well, but what if they
7: never left the Earth? What if they just decided to go live under the Earth or something? You know, who knows? You know, or in the, the caves,
2: or in the caves. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, or in the Earth's mantle, I, I, I saw this weird Edward Snowden, which I've, I haven't seen any, any further mention of this, but supposedly there's some sort of monitoring program going on in the Earth's trenches uh, where we have the deep uh, uh, volcanic vents and that uh, objects are being monitored, leaving and entering uh, uh, some of the deepest portions of the ocean uh, to some sort of subterranean sub. Uh, Oceanic realm or something, and that the government knows, and their the president gets daily reports. I saw some crazy story that that obviously had a, a ring of hoax and, and fake news. I think is the uh, term de jour right now. But but um, that whole scenario, uh, I, I think is is has just as much relevance in terms of uh, hypotheticals is any sort of uh, et coming from another star system does or any interdimensionals or any of that sort of thing i've always said exhaust all closed system scenarios before jumping off planet i mean that's been my mantra for many years and i'll stick to it i think this is really important that we establish what we're dealing with here uh, just on the very basic level before we even attempt to try to interpret the uh, the actions or uh, second guess agendas that sort of thing so
7: it just shows that we have a lot more
2: work to do, right, Chris? <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, and I think hard data monitoring of hotspot areas is the logical place to start. And I know uh, Jan agrees with me on that, and on yeah. some level. And it, you know, obviously, monitoring activity is important, but getting real-time data, you know, on, on a daily basis. That's scientific in nature and, and has, you know, real numbers attached to it and real data attached to it, to me, is the obvious way to go. And even if we attempt to do it and we're circumvented by some sort of tricksterish agenda, all of the, the, the Sherman Ranch or Skinwalker Ranch, that speaks volumes just in and of itself. We're able to determine a lot from being circumvented from our process. Mm-hmm. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we're
7: entering a time in our history with— computer technology, the internet, um, everything else, that, that real-time monitoring is now much easier to do than it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't be wiring these areas up like San Luis Valley and others uh, to be able to monitor this stuff from a number of different perspectives, not just video but uh, and audio, but, you know, magnetometers and you, right. you name it. We should you be able to
2: get that. infrared, you know. all sorts of stuff,
7: yeah. We've got
1: to do our break, and we got more to come with Jan Harzan. And Jean and Chris, you're in. The
2: Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNLive.com today.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget.
15: Hi, I'm Craig Sammet, Chief Clinical Officer from Anthem. Every new parent dreams of bringing their baby home for the first time, but some babies are born too sick or too soon to come home right away. That's why the Anthem Foundation supports the life-saving research and programs of the March of Dimes, the leading nonprofit organization for pregnancy and baby health. Help us give every baby a fighting chance so that more babies can come home healthy. Learn how at marchofdimes.org.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: Now, Jan, before we get back to the search for the answers to the UFO mystery, I want to ask you a few things about MUFON organizationally, some concerns that have come up, I guess, the last year or two. And you know what I mean here. So let's go through some of that and see what happened and what's happening going forward. So, of course, we have the story that one of your state directors posts something on Facebook that's very, very, to be blunt, white supremacist in nature. And that started a furor. How did you guys treat that?
7: Well, initially, the the posting that got made was taken down pretty quickly. I mean, because it was done in air, honestly. We've all done things that we regret. So uh, the the initial take was that this was a personal Facebook post, was not done in any official capacity to move on. So therefore, it it was a personal thing. Now, we did ask that the individual apologize, and he actually did apologize to the people for doing it. You know, I always find it interesting that, that people are quick to... Point out other people's faults, but but rarely their own. And you know, I go back to John eight seven. You know, he was without sin. Let him cast the first stone. But ultimately, because of this particular individual's stature within Mufon and everything else, we decided that the right thing to do was to remove him from that position. So that was what that was the action taken. I mean, it was done and it's over with and behind us. I mean, there's no place for for racism or. Uh, white supremacy in in any organization, and uh, MUFON stands behind a you know a full equal opportunity mantra for for the organization. I mean, we have anybody and everybody who are, who are members of MUFON uh, or who volunteer and are part of MUFON, and we appreciate that.
2: Yeah. I can identify with that because I'm an equal opportunity offender. I, 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 <laughs> I go out of my way to to be uh, to be as. as Offensive as I can be to everybody when it suits, uh, you know, the whole agenda of of getting people thinking. But but I was a little bit surprised that the uh, individual in question, I don't know why we're not mentioning who it is. is—but Go ahead, mention it, mention it. Well, well, John Venture was walking around Las Vegas, kind of like he owned the place, glad handing everybody and stuff. I personally, if it had been me that had had my pants, you know, gotten pants like he did, I would have had a hard time showing up. Um, at an in- international symposium, and walking around like nothing had happened, I was really surprised about that, Jen.
7: Yeah, you know, anyone can go anywhere they want. I, mean, <laughs> I, country, so I know. I, yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I would, I would get him on the show and have him talk What I can tell you about the, the actual incident, which might be of, of interest for the backstory for those who don't know, John got a, a, a posting. I mean, he's he's big into the whole social media task. I'm not as good at it. I I, I monitor it, but I don't really engage in all this stuff because I think it's kind of A lot of craziness in many cases,
2: but... A lot of time-wasting.
7: Yeah, I get better things to do with my time. But he got a posting basically saying that Netflix was going to run a show on white genocide. Now, his grandmother happens to be one of the individuals, she's Jewish, who lived through the Holocaust. I don't know what her direct linkage to the Holocaust was, but she went through the Holocaust. And so that infuriated him, which caused him to generate a short, terse message... About that posting he got, and that's what started this whole furor. He realized that he got bad information, whether it's fake news, whatever you want to call it. That the that, that the posting wasn't correct. The person who posted it didn't have their facts straight. So once he figured it out, he immediately removed it and apologized for what he posted. So you can go every which way, but Sunday. I mean, was it appropriate to do? No, it wasn't appropriate. You know, did he realize that? He realized that. Did he apologize for it? Yes, he apologized for it. I don't know what else you want to do. I guess we could have burned him in effigy, but I,
2: he basically we said, look, it's not a Well I think we piece. kinda did. At least the community yeah. did. My God. Yeah. I've never seen so many people come out and just fire with all freaking barrels blazing, boy. You know something really- though?
1: I looked at the messages over at Kevin Randall's different perspective. Where he responded, and I did not like the way he came off. Well, I've got some information here that I'm going to present at the right time. And he was just shouting off and boasting. And I just uh, thought when you start taking that attitude, under these circumstances, you know, it doesn't really show him off in a good light.
2: No, And I, I don't want to drag this into the realm of politics, but in light of all these exposés that we're seeing right now with... With the sexual predators, I don't think there's any place for that. I don't think there's any place for bigotry and uh, racism. And um, right now, um, I think we're being put into a situation culturally where um, everything's getting uh, galvanized into uh, real black and white sort of stark definitions in terms of where you stand on things and, and i think the leadership in this country uh current leadership is is really responsible for this uh, knee-jerk response into uh, real <laughs> good bad good bad black white uh, type thinking and i think it, it it's really i think it's important for everybody to be very very careful and i'm, I'm talking to myself as, as well as anybody when we comment on things that may have innuendos that, that that are unintended even or or blatant blatant statements that uh, might be uh, construed in a way that uh, is really going to come back and uh, pardon the expression bitch slap you. So mm-hmm. I think everybody should be very, very careful right now uh, especially in our field. It's already controversial enough. We don't need to make it more controversial. And someone like a John Ventre should should really understand that he is in a position of authority. Um, being the state director, and I think wasn't he a director of of, of several states? Uh, I think wasn't he, or he well, had some he, sort of yeah.
7: He 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 was helping us monitor him. He's actually developing state directors to go into the states. But yeah,
2: right. He, well, that's that's yeah. a really important uh, a position of uh, power and responsibility, and to have a lapse like that um, is really. Uh, to me it's inexcusable uh, uh, uh and and especially now in this day and age i think he he was right at the the cusp of this now emerging uh, phase that I think culturally we're going to be going through and I think it's really important for anybody involved in the field of the paranormal, of ufology these very very controversial subjects that boy we are really under the micro- microscope now and we really have to be careful because there's magnifying glasses on all our asses right now and we really have to be careful and we really have to second guess everything that we do and say and and, and read things through and and don't respond in a knee-jerk uh, fashion it's just it's gonna come back and hurt everybody
7: yeah and, and i think your comments t- too on this black and white are are are, are right on and in, in terms of you're, you're seeing people lining up on opposite it's, it's like there's no middle ground anymore you're either on the far left or you're on the far right or
2: yeah, the, right. the top
7: or the bottom or whatever you want to say but uh i've never seen a more polarized at least in the United States. I don't
2: know if it's like yeah. this in other countries, but at least in the United States. I absolutely agree. I've, yeah. n- I've never I've never seen it as polarized as as we're seeing now. I mean, even back in the 60s when we had race riots and
7: everything else, I just, I just people were at least talking with each other. You know, there they were now we
2: can't even get conversations going. You know? <laughs> no. No, we can't. It's like we're in a world. Yeah. It's really important for uh, uh, folks like ourselves who are interested in controversial subjects that are yeah. highly, highly uh, con- contentious uh, in in many ways uh, to be a- extra vigilant, extra careful about the posture that we take. Not only be careful about what we say, but how we say it. I think is is uh, also uh, <laughs> would be a pretty good piece of advice. Oh my yeah. god! Absolutely. Well, you know, there, and there's this
7: there's a saying. Yeah. <laughs> You know, to, before you point out someone else's faults, you know, remove the plank from your own eye. Um, okay. The one thing I would say that I thought would could have gone better in this whole thing was the people who were ranting and raving on social media about this whole thing, if they had just picked up the phone and called John and said, "John, look, I read your post, and I was really disappointed someone of your caliber to have put something like this on and let john explain himself and you know maybe there's no explanation for it but but the point is there needs to be dialogue and when when dialogue stops in any society that's that's when wars begin
2: yeah right yeah
1: i absolutely agree let's break guys we're going to break and then go into a few more organizational things with Mufon and get back to the search for the ufos and where that will take us with Jan Harzan's, our special guest. With Gene and Chris, you're in. The Paracast. Neighbors, we've made such a deal with HelloFresh, and it means that everyone listening to this show can receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code Paracast30. You know, with. HelloFresh, you can choose the delivery day that works best for you. They've got a wide variety of chef-curated recipes. They change weekly. And can you imagine me cooking Japanese panko chicken? It makes me feel like I'm a chef. It means also that you could actually get your meal cooked in 30 minutes. For busy people, this is perfect. The simple recipes... Include step-by-step instructions so even I can figure it out. Go to HelloFresh.com. Use the offer code Paracast30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries.
5: HelloFresh.com.
17: during a widespread national emergency. That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Okay, another issue that's come up is you've got a, I don't know if you call it a committee or something, called Inner Circle at MUFON. So far, I see it's got a dozen members listed, including yourself, former directors. And the first question before I ask more about it, so people want to know, do you have to be a member of the inner circle to be a possible director of MUFON?
7: No, no, these are just donation levels. So, you know, and and we can change the names could be gold, bronze, silver, platinum, whatever you want to say. But basically, people who have donated a certain amount of money to the organization over, over time, or, or one time, I guess, it, it, they make certain levels. And so we've even discussed whether that even needs to be posted. But you no, know, it has nothing to do with you know, your stature in MUFON or, or what access to information you have. I mean, everybody has the same access. So, and it certainly doesn't have anything to do with whether you can become the director of MUFON. <laughs>
1: well, the only thing is here, you have people here, most of the people who have been director are in this list. And this involves people who have donated $5,000 or more to MUFON.
7: Correct. Correct. But that's just because those people are pretty generally people who are supportive of the mission of MUFON and they want to make sure it's successful. And they realize that any nonprofit, I mean, you know, we have offices, we have staff, we have phones, we've got computers. It costs money to run all that stuff. So if you're not constantly... Fundraising and growing the membership and doing what you do. There's not much you can do. There's not much you can achieve as an organization if you don't have any funding to do it. I'd love everything to be a complete 100% volunteer, but then nothing ever happens. I mean, we spent the first 30 years of the organization. I, you, you collect a lot of paper files, you put them in boxes, and they sit in a warehouse. What, what good does that do? Nothing. So you have, to action, you have to put action behind it. So it takes money to do that. Um, so these are these are nothing but basically uh, donation levels that people have. So, and give them a little recognition for the fact that they did put out of their pocket some money to help support the organization. I mean, it, it's it's no more. It's, that's what it is. That's. I mean, there were people trying to make a big deal out about it. It was a secret society, and that it's. It, I think because of the name Inner Circle, that and I'm not even sure who came up with that name. That was kind of the the thought process behind it. But no, it's just strictly donation levels.
1: Well, maybe it would serve then to put a little couple of sentences
7: here
16: okay,
1: of clarification. So if people looking at it saying, you oh, know, wait a minute, what's going on here? We've got people who donate more than $5,000 to an organization, which is understandable. You're a nonprofit corporation and you have a right certainly to ask for donations. And it's tax deductible. Of course, with Washington, we don't know how long that's going to last. But maybe there should be some clarification As to that, and I think now because we're in a politically correct world, anything you do, as Chris said, is under the microscope and maybe just look at things like that so that things are addressed. Like an example, people speaking on behalf of the organization or who are in a position of authority to just be a little careful about the things they say because it will extend to their private lives whether they want it to or not. And that's also unfortunate.
2: And also, you know, people look at, at something like a Jay-Z Knight, for instance, who's, uh, I think, one of these um, larger contributors, and uh, you know, I think uh, uh, James Clarkson brought up a, a point in his uh, widely disseminated letter um, of resignation um, that, you know, he he didn't want to be, I guess, I, I'm i trying to paraphrase this, but, but the association of someone like that, who's highly controversial, being a Chandler of Ramtha and and all this, and and someone who's kind of in his neighborhood, basically up there in Washington State, you know, he he just he felt uncomfortable with the perception that someone like that, maybe uh, on some level, calling the shots around there or exerting some sort of influence, when their particular private scenario in their lives of um, having kind of a cultish group around them waiting on the latest uh, musings of the 10,000-year-old uh, adept named Ramtha to come through Jay-Z night in that weird, funny voice, it, it just didn't seem to be something that he felt comfortable with uh, being associated with, with MUFON. Now, I understand that just because somebody has a private life, that shouldn't really be held against them when they're a benefactor with Mufon, I understand that that it's kind of apples and oranges, but there is the issue of perception management going on here as well. I mean, how do you how do you reconcile that? I mean, what 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 can you do? Well, it, here's here's the story. <laughs> it's as simple as this: When I took
7: over as executive director five years ago, we got a call from an organization saying we're holding a conference in Washington, and we'd like someone from Mufon to speak at it. At the time when it was, I couldn't go. So I asked Dave McDonald, my predecessor, if he could fly out and speak to this group. I didn't know much about the group. It turned out it was a, a conference over a weekend, probably some, on this spiritual retreat group. Uh, that was all I knew about it, other than the fact they wanted someone to come speak for MUFON. Dave reached out to James Clarkson and invited him to go with them. So the two of them went to the conference. Dave spoke. They had a great time. and. Met all the people, met Jay-Z Knight, met all these folks. And uh, I even have pictures of them having dinner with Jay-Z Knight, the two of them. We, we <laughs> received a nice check from the organization, and that was it. I mean, they said, thank you for having someone go speak. We didn't ask him for the check, they just sent us a check. So we put put the check at the bank. And, you know, I have never spoken to jay i I've never met Jay-Z Knight. I don't even know
2: Jay-Z Knight. People need to know that.
7: <laughs> well, Yeah. It's pretty significant, but you know, I, 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 I'm not one to go point fingers or go make a big deal about things, right? Uh, right. It's a, yeah, but some, it's some people are, Jen.
2: What? Uh, some people are. I don't think it's that big of a deal myself, personally. But have you ever seen uh, her channel Ramtha? No, I haven't watched. That. Uh, okay, you should check that out sometime. Okay, and no, then I- and then wonder why people have maybe have issues with someone like that being in, considered on some sort of inner circle.
7: Yeah. Well, I mean, we've never spoken. She's never
2: asked anything about MUFON. And it's like, well, you should talk to her and ask her to ask Romtha what he thinks of MUFON. And maybe he has some advice for the organization.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Chris. I'm going to get right on that one.
2: (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. I know.
1: Well, we're going to channel something right now. No, we're not going to channel. But I think you see now, Jan, that there's a need to be circumspect. Because you're dealing with a subject that's already controversial, there's already the perception that you're just a bunch of doe-eyed ET believers out there, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think when it, it, and when you throw in anything about abductions, it gets to be even wackier, regardless of the, the truth blue
2: behind it. and time traveling five-year-olds to Mars, and I mean, come on, that's you know, and that's a whole other subject that I'm sure we're going to talk about at some point is. Uh, Where you draw the line of presenting information that is absolutely, you know, has no provenance, has no uh, evidence to back it up, no proof, no documentation, no corroborative evidence whatsoever. And to present individuals presenting this type of information with the caveat, well, we want people to make up their own minds, to me is highly problematic at at to be actually really kind about it and, and, and low-key. We're going to pursue that in our next segment with Jan Harzan. Gene
1: and Chris, you're in... Thank
8: you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
4: Most people think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But did you know you can have tax-free access to your life insurance while you're still alive? You can use the life benefits of your life insurance to grow your money with certainty and guarantees. No stock market risk, no tax risk, and no penalties. Call Life Benefits if you'd like a free book about how this can be done. Call 702-660-7000. That's 702-660-7000. Actual testimonials from real Numana customers.
9: I've tried all kinds of food storage, and Numana is by far the best.
4: I'm a single mom with
12: two teenage boys and a full-time job. I don't always have time to cook a four-course meal. That's where Numana's been such a blessing. I can spend less time in the kitchen and more time on what matters most, like helping with
10: homework. Find out for yourself. Order online at thepowermall.com. That's thepowermall.com. Numana is...
6: There's stores I love to eat. Yum!
10: Thepowermall.com.
18: For P-150, P-150 GA, P-150 NY, P-150 OK, P-150 tnc 250 A, C-250 E, C-250 Q. Not available in all states. If New York or Colorado, call for a similar offer.
12: What's the scariest thing about going to the dentist? Opening your mouth or opening your wallet? Because just a simple cleaning can cost $100. And things like root canals can cost you hundreds more. If you don't have dental insurance to help, call Physicians Mutual Insurance Company. 1-800-972-6540. This isn't a discount plan or preventive-only coverage. This is real dental insurance that helps pay for checkups right away. So you can call today and get your teeth cleaned tomorrow. Plus, it helps cover the more expensive procedures you might need down the road. Fillings, crowns, bridges, even costly dentures. There's no deductible and no annual maximum. Your acceptance is guaranteed for one of these insurance policies, even if you're retired. There are no networks, so you can choose any dentist you'd like. Call now for a free information kit with all the details. 1-800-972-6540. That's one 800 972 six five four zero one eight hundred nine seven two six five four zero sometimes life can be a
19: pain in the neck or back or shoulder long distance travel or long hours in front of a computer can take its toll on your body why take another pill treat your aches and pains with sunshine pillows microwavable heat wraps heatable neck pillows and extra large body heating wraps sunshine pillows and wraps are designed better for perfect support where and when you need it even while driving sunshine pillows are designed with your comfort in mind will not burn you and will stay balanced on your body to provide soothing hot or cold therapy to treat temporary or chronic pain and the best part sunshine pillows start at just twenty dollars join hundreds of our happy customers and see why sunshine pillows has a lifetime 100 percent positive rating on both amazon and etsy Click sunshine-pillows.com and take the Sunshine Pillow Challenge. That's sunshine-pillows.com.
15: Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk.
11: Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Now, obviously, Chris O'Brien is talking here about the 2017 MUFON Symposium, Jan, which obviously was talking about the so-called secret space program. Now... In the old days of the UFO field, and it didn't always happen, there was this line of demarcation between so-called scientific ufology and the wacky part. The people who were time travelers, who met the blonde Venusians. This, that, and the other thing. Now, do we see here an attempt to merge these different factions or what? Why present people who have theories that just don't make any logical sense?
7: Well, here was the idea behind that whole conference. There there have been about six books published in the last year and a half on the subject of the secret space program. So let's go back in time here. When I was 10, I saw a craft in my backyard 30 feet from me, hovering 10 feet off the ground. It was a very advanced technological device because it had no wings, no engines, no nothing on it. But it was hovering there. And uh, my first reaction was that it was man-made. I made that to... T- because of the fact there was a bolt between a crossbars that were the scissoring function on the uh, landing gear. But as I studied that craft, I I could see that it was seamless and and no windows, no doors, and completely like melded out of one piece of metal. We see these in many reports we get of these craft that are sighted these days. But I can't tell you for certain that it was extraterrestrial or or, or where it it came from, uh, of this this planet, or if it was something we built ourselves. And that was 1965. Now, fast forward to 1993, and I'm attending a UCLA lecture for alumni of the engineering school, and Ben Rich is presenting. And his last slide is a black disc zipping off into outer space, and he says – these words, you know, we now have the technology to take ET home. He had made that same presentation in '92 at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which got recorded. Unfortunately, the one I was in was, was not recorded, but uh, other witnesses were there. But in private conversation afterwards with a group, small group of people who stayed around to talk to him, he basically said, "You know, we found an error in the equations, so and we now know how to travel to the stars, and it won't take us our lifetime to do it." Um, he was pretty emphatic that that this was where we were headed. That was 34 years ago. So the other thing is that the last spy plane announced by the Lockheed Skunk, or by the military, or by anybody, the government, was the F-117, which I think was actually built in 83. It was first shown to the public during one of the Gulf Wars with
2: Iraq in, I think, 94, maybe 10 years later, 93, 94. It was unveiled in the late 1990 early 91, I believe yeah but
7: that's going back almost 20 30 years so so what we've just done nothing for 20 or 30 years I don't believe that I, I think that there's been quite a bit of stuff done in the last 20 or 30 years so this brought up the topic of with these all these books and and this knowledge that we have in the public domain that is it possible that some of these unknowns because about 30 percent of our cases after careful investigation, end up in the unknown bucket, which means we can't identify them as anything. Could some of these, and I I emphasize some, could some of these be our own craft, our own aircraft, our own spacecraft, our own something? And so we decided to put the theme around the secret space, the the case for a secret space program. As it turns out, many people think there's multiple secret space programs going on. I don't know. I mean, that's just one of the theories.
1: Isn't it logical, though, that we certainly have a secret space program when it comes to spy satellites?
7: Well, we certainly have it with regard to spice satellites, but we're talking about putting men in space or, or you know, sure. or humans in space.
2: You know. Well, I, in, I in mean, bases on Mars and on the dark side of the moon and all that. But, right. but Jan, you know Ron Yeah, I mean, Ron was Aerojet, Douglas uh, Aircraft, 35, 40 years. He worked on Apollo, Skylab, DSP. I mean, you go down the list of, of black budget projects that he was involved with and, and still has knowledge that he can't uh, divulge uh, even today. I mean, I just— Went up to Grand Canyon with him yesterday, and we actually talked a little bit about this, uh, as we invariably do. And one of the things that he mentioned to me was anybody in aerospace knows when there is something cool going on because everybody's trying to get the same exotic materials. And when somebody has uh, the budget to get it, everybody else is jealous and, of course, knows that something's going on. He says it is a very, very small fraternity uh, when it comes to uh, materials procurement and technological breakthroughs, even. Uh, and he he says that you know even though he doesn't have the the kind of security clearances that a Ben Rich would have or someone uh, of that stature in the aerospace industry, he says it's fairly common knowledge when new projects come down the pike. And when you mention the 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 whole concept of uh, space fleets and and bases on the moon and Mars, he just he rolls his eyes and goes, "This is absolute." Fabricated science fiction, and I'm not. He said, "I'm not saying that to cover up what I know." He says, "It's just, it's just, in, it's just inconceivable to him that people who aren't doing due diligence and not looking into this from a rational, you know, aerospace grounded point of view." Uh, he says, "Anybody that, that has any sort of knowledge about about the aerospace industry knows that this is just it's impossible. There's just not enough of the right kind of materials going around to to." possibly allocate to uh, incredibly you know, cost, costly uh, projects like this without a lot of people knowing it and, and we're getting out. I, just to me, claiming that I'm five years old, they teleport me to Mars, I have a 20-year career, and then I'm teleported back through time to five years old and I remember the 20 years. I mean, anybody that is allowed to have that story and speak on a stage at MUFON Ah, uh, to me is a major, major mistake politically, and uh, just as a to me, to me, it's just a way to put butts in the seats because these books that all quote each other um, are incredibly popular right now, and people like David Wilcock and and others um, are making uh, really good money promoting these types of of, of <laughs> I think bad science fiction uh, stories. Uh, and then, when you start hearing about Corey's kids, ritual magic, and kind of weird cultish type things that do not come up in conversations about secret space programs, but are attendant to the individuals involved, I get worried. Yeah, so, so let's, let's go look at that. Let's investigate that real quick
7: here. Um, we do have data uh, from at least two data points. Uh, One being Carl Wolf, who in 1966-67 time frame was an airman second class in the Air Force stationed at Langley Air Force Base. And during one of the lunar orbiter missions was asked by his boss to go over to the NSA headquarters and fix a printer because he was part of the photographic group. He was a technician. He thought he was going over to NASA because he didn't know. NSA as a 22 year old. NSA didn't mean anything to him. So when he said NSA, he thought he meant NASA. NASA. He went over, and I won't go through the whole scene, but he was pretty impressed the fact that he walked in a hangar and it was full of workstations with people from all over this planet. Now, he was, there were Russians, Chinese, Americans, all manning this thing. It was an NS, NSA operation. They were taking the feeds from the lunar orbiter, cleaning them up before passing them on to NASA and the public. I'm not even sure NASA knew this was going on, but um, he was led into a cipher-locked room, led to a printer, and as he was looking, trying to figure out how to get the printer moved to a place where he could work on it, the other airman second class who took him into the cipher-locked printer room said, oh, look at this. We've found bases on the moon. Carl looked at the photographs. He saw buildings, dome buildings, I think some uh, other type buildings. I I know Carl personally. I've known him for almost 30 years. He's not someone who's delusional. He saw buildings on the moon, the backside of the moon. That's one data point. And then we've got uh, Donna Hare,
2: who right, of course, for, I
7: was going to bring her up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, now she didn't see anything personally herself, but she,
2: but she. Well, was, she saw she saw them airbrushing uh, uh, details out of photographs. And uh, right, right. Well, by the way, uh, 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 Carl, was he at Langley, Virginia? Virginia, yes. I, I need to check. I know an F-16 pilot there. I'm going to check. <laughs> I, forgot yeah. about, I totally forgot about that. Thank yeah. you for reminding me. I'd be happy to introduce you to him. He's a, he's a great guy. He's, such, yes. I mean, he's It stream. sounds be- <laughs> infinitely believable. I had a guy, Wayne Holland, who's one of Stephen Greer's uh, witnesses in the original Disclosure Project.
1: Let's talk about that in our next segment with Gene and Chris and Jan Harzan. You're in the paracast.
6: This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want. Get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com. Just like it sounds, GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com.
15: Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey guy provides the lowest-priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, Get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com.
2: Hi, this is James Fox from Chasing UFOs. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Chris was talking here about someone he knew. And about the implications of the topics we're talking about,
2: Chris, well, I had this guy show up. um, you know, friend of a friend type thing. guy was uh, grew up son of a CIA operative, Bremerton, Washington. He thought his dad was a painting contractor, stumbled in into the knowledge that his dad was something other than that. ended up having special talents and skills. long story short, ended up logging computer punch cards on UFOs doing mutilations in the Midwest in the early to mid 70s, according to him, and the hangar was a building that was able to be hidden holographically. At one point, he was shown footage. Uh, somebody was showing off to him and showed him classified footage uh, with Russian acrylic writing underneath, going over a red planetary surface. There's plenty of these apocryphal stories, but but when it comes down to procurements and budgets and Ah, uh, materials uh, and you know things that are really needed to make all this stuff a reality. There's a place where <laughs> the stories kind of end, and then the reality begins. How do we know that that people aren't shown things? Uh, you know, Bob Lazar would be a classic example. Maybe the guy was profiled psychologically to uh, to be someone that would become a whistleblower, and let's program this guy with all sorts of stuff that we know. He's going to talk about because of his psych profile, and let's uh, fill his head full of stuff, and then uh, you know have this wonderful uh, disinformation program out there, seeding knowledge about uh, about whatever subject uh, you want to disinform people about. Richard Doty is another one. This guy's now he just was on uh, Linda Howe's Show. We tried to get him on our show. We wanted to you know put some hard questions to him about his particular uh, experiences with AFOSI and. And Gabe Valdez and the New Mexico State Patrol and other things. With Richard Doty, it's still in the realm of possibility. Enough said. Go ahead. Okay, I think MUFON should be, at least personally, my opinion. MUFON should be above the fray, and that these types of conferences featuring these types of individuals aren't up to the standard of excellence that I would expect from MUFON. And, well, but and I, I think, understand. Chris, I, yeah, go ahead. I just understand that you. you You're going with trends where people are interested in stuff and you want to get butts in the seats. There were a lot of people there at that conference, the most that I've seen in a while. So it was a successful conference. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was our most successful conference ever. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm a little bit concerned, Jan, that you put up some sort of loosey-goosey stuff that really can't be proven. You know, of course – Who's a gentleman who just died? The Navy guy, William um, Tompkins. Tom, Tom. um, his story is interesting. Uh, however, when you start cross-referencing all these people's accounts, they they tend to be filling in the blanks of each other's stories, and they're they're relying on details that have already come before, and there's very little new information. Like the whole time traveling thing with Corey Good, kind of reminds me of Andrew Bassagio. Visaggio, Laura Eisenhower's stuff. Oh, I was trained by Ed Dames and and, and, and oh, oh, Barack Obama, where Barry Satoru and I and Basagio and, uh, went to the to Mars. This is beneath MUFON, okay? In my, in my estimation, uh, there's got to be a way for you to attract that kind of audience to your symposiums without going that extra step of legitimizing what these people have to say because there is no way... That this can be proven and until it can, you can't give them carte blanche as in, and be signing off on their stories and, and let people decide. That's I, 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 really so that's the, not the, your the,
7: role. Having having someone speak at a conference and, and endorsing them are two completely different things, though, Chris. By having um,
2: them speak, you're endorsing them, in my book. Well, I don't think that's
7: true. I mean, if you if you watch the promo video on the front of the MUFON symposium, which I think is still there, mufonsymposium dot com for the for that conference, I was very emphatic that we were going to be covering the entire waterfront of this whole subject area, and we started off with mainstream scientists. You know, it was supposed to be Brandenburg. Uh, unfortunately, he had right. heart surgery the week before. But oh, wow! I didn't uh, know that. Is he all right? Yeah, he's doing much better. Thank you. Yes, definitely. Uh, but we had James Woodward from yeah James Woodward's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, and then we and then we went into the UFO researchers like Mark McCandlish. Now, Mark, you know, I, I just think the world of Mark and, and also Michael Schratt. I mean, that these two guys have been involved in this field for cash since the beginning of time almost. Right. Yeah, they have. Um, and they've uh, you know at least in the case of Michael Schratt, I mean, he has come and crawled through the. Stringfield files and our cases, and, and uh, just a tremendous researcher. And both of them have their own stories to tell from the research that they've done. In the case of Mark McCandless, he was an illustrator for the aerospace industry. And in, in, in that capacity, got to see a lot of things. I'm sure he's not even today allowed to talk about. But he also had conversations with people who told him some of the stuff that was going on. So he that's how he comes up with the information he's got on the ARV, I guess, you know, and these types of things. Uh, another speaker was Tom Keller. Uh, Tom actually was here in Orange County just two nights ago speaking. He related the story when he lived in Lancaster, uh, knew Gary Schultz and some of the other guys out there who used to, go out to Area 51. But when he was in Lancaster, he just, through a friend, met um, a gentleman who was a test pilot uh, who landed at, uh, I think, or was that on Palmdale? I believe it was. But anyway, he he, he got off his jet and was looking for a restroom. And accidentally stumbled into a hangar where there were drawings of flying saucers. In other words, there was there was, there was the mechanical drawings. I mean, detailed drawings of they were building a flying saucer out in Palmdale. I think, I believe it was the Lockheed Skunk Works uh, site out there. But okay. uh, so so we we have these cases of people now. Can you say, well, show me the drawing? I, I, there's no drawing there. I mean, no one has the drawing. You know, um, this particular person was grabbed by the security guards and interrogated to, to, to find out what he knew and what he didn't know. And, and before he was released, he was told that he, if he, he could never repeat anything he'd seen in that location. But, but we had a lot of speakers there. I mean, there, there were 12 speakers, and you're, you're, you're going back to two of the speakers, but there were 10 others that we t- started with the very scientific part of this thing we went through the investigative part of it and had people talk to that and then yeah on the back end i even said in the video i said look we're going to have some very speculative stuff here but you you know you need to listen to it and decide if it fits for you for a lot of people it didn't fit that's fine i mean you know i don't know if anyone's ever been to mars or not i have no idea but we thought because it was part of the entire conversation that every be, people should be able to see the whole thing all the way through
1: doesn't um, it though create as they say uh, a bad feeling for the entire thing. I mean, if you have 10 people who are solid scientific and two wacky people, you know that the critics, the press, they'll look at the wacky people and say, That's typical. Look at this convention. You have people here who travel through time. They're like John Carter of Mars, where they sit in one place and they go to Mars by astral projection or something, whatever it is. That's what gets the attention. What? That's why you have to be politically correct.
7: Yeah, actually, it had quite the opposite effect. I had people walking up to me who, in years past, said they would never have anything to do with MUFON. They were they were UFO researchers, and they were at the event, and they were thanking me for having the open-mindedness to allow that conversation to happen. You can't shut down conversation. I mean, you have to allow people to discuss things Um yeah, we lost a handful of people who are very conservative in in their viewpoints on things, but we picked up hundreds more who were open-minded enough to say, "I'll, I'll listen to. it. I don't have to believe it. I don't have to." The, the the sign of an intelligent mind is being able to listen to something and not necessarily take it to be truth, but just listen to it. So, um, look, it was a one-time event. Uh, you know, we pick a different topic. This next symposium in 2018 is going to be about. UFOs, extraterrestrials, and the future of humanity, and we're going to have a bunch of scientists on it and other very credible people that uh, I think you're going to be very interested in coming and hearing. Um, So, to
2: me, this is all... I'd be interested in coming Uh, and presenting because, boy, I got a presentation on that level. (laughs) Yeah, okay, Okay. well, well send it to me. Uh, I will. The, um,
7: yeah, you know, look, criticism is well taken. I appreciate it. Um, I've had, you know, other input from different people. Um, it was a one-time event, and you know it's come and it's passed, and it's time to move on and get to the future. Well, opinion. the bottom
2: line is that you really stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest, and and a, a little bit of controversy is not necessarily a bad thing. You filled a lot. I was very impressed with the turnout that you had, and you know I think the subject matter. Sometimes you have to jerk people out of their catharsis and their conservative viewpoints. Uh, you know, possibly uh, to. Get people to uh, wake up and take notice and and get involved. Uh, you know, all it takes really is is like a seventy three wave to uh, to you know get a lot of people energized and jazzed about the subject again and and uh, and get their minds off uh, Trump and North Korea and these other <laughs> pressing terrestrial issues. And uh, you know, I, I think right. things tend to contract a little bit when uh, when domestic and foreign issues uh, get really intense, and then. When things get a little bit more complacent and loosey-goosey and, and comfortable, then people, their minds start to, to wander a little bit.
1: <laughs> we're going to continue with our discussions with Jan Harzan and get back, since we've dealt with the organizational issues, get back to the research and see where we're going. With Gene, Chris, and Jan, you're in The Paracast. <laughs> stuff for women stuff for men we have all sorts of sizes like small up to x large a lot of good stuff that's the swag from the PowerCast. If you go to store.thepowercast.com stop by and take a shopping tour
16: looking for that edge during those intimate moments we see many ads for enhancement but the side effects include death
4: But did you know you can have tax-free access to your life insurance while you're still alive? You can use the life benefits of your life insurance to grow your money with certainty and guarantees. No stock market risk, no tax risk, and no penalties. Call Life Benefits if you'd like a free book about how this can be done. Call 702-660-7000. That's 702-660-7000.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: Jan did one of our best ever, okay? You know, you rank way up there with such people as Nick Redfern.
2: Nick Redfern, yeah. (laughs) Nick's way up there.
1: (laughs) We haven't figured out where yet. I think he's on Mars there let's continue here let's get back to the research i think we've got jan's views and i know our listeners are going to be pro and con about it and we have forums at com where you can indicate whether you feel mufon's on the right track to pursue as they say a wider outreach in their conference to try something and some of the organizational issues we dealt with let's have your opinion about those things and we know what's going to happen. I'll tell you something, Jan. We had on the show, oh, three, is it three, four years ago now? Dr. David Jacobs. And he came out yes. with a, one of his books about possible alien human hybrids and hubrids and everything like that. So he had a problem, obviously, with the UFO abductee who was attacking him and his credibility and everything. And I've never seen such a polarized reaction. To his show. And Sam said we were too kind to him. He said Chris was badgering him, Dr. Jacobs, towards (laughs) the end of the show. And it's like people heard what they wanted to hear, and we were trying to be very balanced about the subject because there are people who have different viewpoints about abductions, and I think Chris and I regard the views of Dr. Jacobs as more very extreme in one end. That, you know, we're being taken over, and if we are being taken over, it doesn't matter. It's too late for us anyway, so. I mean, if you can believe the sort of silent invasion that's implied by this theory, well, all that means here is that there's probably no hope for humanity, which may be something we already can agree upon with all the crazy things that have been happening in recent years. But what this signifies is that these beings will one day... Take us over, or we will live and die and never know about the level of their control. Have I made you paranoid enough, for listeners? Why worry about it? What me worry, like they say in Mad Magazine? But the point here is that you can see how polarized that was. Thousands of messages in our forums. Oh, yeah. It blew up. And there are people who still hate me for viewpoints I don't even have.
2: Or to even or people that hate you for even having Jacobs on the show.
1: It's right, rac- exactly. And we, you know, we've had some pretty controversial people. I didn't think he'd be one of them, but we had Michael Horn on a couple of times early in the history of the power Ooh. cast. We've had a f- quite a few people that have viewpoints that a lot of us would not even accept, but we gave them their say and then we told them what we thought. We had one guest who had a history of supposedly repurposing copyrighted material, and he made all sorts of claims about being quoted in newspapers, and when we tried to confirm it, after about a half hour an hour on the show, he hung up on us. Uh, a guy named Bill Nell. Anyone remember him?
2: Oh, yeah. Good old Bill Nell. I'm sure he'll show up again out of the ethers. Our latest vampire We'll show up from the the (laughs) deep, (laughs) damp (laughs) earth. So you can
1: see where things get pretty polarized in this field. And even with the best of intentions, presenting someone that we know has something screwy to say, they're going to attack us. And therefore, in this field, it's hard sometimes to balance it. And we don't. Here in the Powercast. we could be very unpolitically correct which is part of our <laughs> reputation we have this second show as our listeners know called after the power cast where we don't even have restrictions on language
2: yeah oh boy yeah that's i have fun sometimes jan
7: sometimes <laughs> yeah i bet you do
2: <laughs> yeah and sometimes I, I i try to i try to keep it uh you know uh, reasonable and you know kind of a nice decorum but Sometimes it gets rather carried away, and, and that's 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 fun. It's entertainment. Well, how, how long
7: have we known each other, Chris? We've known each other for years, right? I mean, uh,
2: twenty. Let's see. I first spoke there in '98, so 19 years. Yeah, that's amazing. And you A know, long time. and the connection
7: we had was uh, my wife, her parents both grew up in the San Luis Valley. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And they uh, met there. Alejandro married. Rojas, another one. He he grew up in the San Luis Valley. <laughs> well, I, didn't know, I didn't know that about him. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh he still has relatives there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We do, That's too. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jay Widener, who uh, I've known, kind of, sort of a, a loose associateship, uh, if you will, over the years. You know, I'm talking to Jay one one day, and he says, uh, he mentions uh, his house in the San Luis Valley. I said, well, wait a minute, I didn't know you lived there. He goes, oh, yeah, I've had property there for quite a while, and I've got a house there and everything. And Robert Hastings uh, moved to Villa Grove in the San Luis Valley. I so didn't know uh, yeah, I guess my work has had a, a, a well. The real estate agents around Crestone really liked me in the late nineties because when those books came out, boy, everybody was coming in. And of course, they they never told me that I was uh, you know an unofficial bird dog for them. And but uh, it's uh, it, it's a wonderful place, and I'm still considering uh you know ways to try to get people to follow through with their with their promises on getting this camera project going up there i'm i I think i'm just gonna have to move there for six months and and do it all myself or something it's just i'm just beating my head against a brick wall we're gonna have to come up with a budget and and put these people under contract to uh to do things uh just I, i i'm beside myself trying to figure out how to do it. We almost get there so many times and then the weather, you know, the cold kicks in. And if you don't get it done by November, you're you're sunk. And it's right. just I'm just so tired of, of this. We've had so many great events that we would have been able to get real scientific data from these events, uh, because it was right in our in our front row seat the camera camera project would have had. And it's just really extremely frustrating because I, I do really think that hotspot areas. You know, it's by mantra, hotspot areas are where we should be concentrating our, you know, our resources, our hardware, um, our expertise, our talent. Um, our, in- because, our
7: instrumentation, absolutely.
2: Yeah, all, you know, all the above, and, and especially instrumentation. And, uh, you know, once we get to a position where we have four different types of, of, of monitoring, uh, you know, sets of, of monitoring information, uh, you can write a scientific paper. Uh, in, in any one of uh, several disciplines. And uh, that's going to be very, very difficult to, uh, for academia and the uh, scientific community to ignore. They'll try, but it, it's going to be difficult.
7: Well, but I think, I think that's what's going to help create some breakthroughs in this thing. You know, uh, we had a case uh, recently in the last uh, year or so um, where the individual was able to get on videotape the uh, pulsing from the engines of the craft and um, through that, determined that the craft, the particular craft that was seen in this case, in this particular case, w- had counter-rotating electromagnets uh, being pulsed at 123 hertz. Now, I- I've talked to physicists about that. They, 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 they all kind of scoff at it. But, but you know, somebody's able to levitate these craft without having any, uh, you know, <laughs> other visible means of propulsion other than some right. kind of a, a field propulsion system. So. That's where the breakthroughs will come from, and from a scientific standpoint, you know, there's other people out there who like could care less about how the craft work, and they want to study the the human side of things or the uh, the sociological right. side of things. And who are who are these beings? Why are they here? How are we going to interact with them? Are we and, able to interact? That, with
2: that's them? all relevant. It's all relevant. Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. But but science scientists and academics are are going to. This is the one thing that you have to prove is a reality, or or there's there's a, uh, something that exists before they will show an interest. If somebody came up with a 5% chance that they've come up with a cure of cancer, billions of dollars would be uh, allocated to that. If there was a 5% chance that 5% of UFO sightings are are true unknowns and and worthy of of study, we have to prove that to be the case before we can get any sort of uh, acceptance from, from the mainstream.
1: Here's something else we have to prove. And we'll know about it in just a moment with Gene, Chris, and Jan Harzan. You're in The Pericast.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
20: Many
18: medicines used to treat colds and flu contain acetaminophen, a pain reliever and fever reducer found in hundreds of over-the-counter and prescription medicines. But taking too much or more than one medication containing acetaminophen per day can damage your liver. So always read the label and don't take acetaminophen if you drink three or more alcoholic drinks every day. To learn more, visit FDA.gov slash OTC Pain Info. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Food and Drug Administration.
15: If you or someone you care about loves outdoor adventure, then check out Slingbow.com for some unique holiday gift ideas. That's Slingbow.com, where we have some innovative new products for the archer, hunter, or bow fishing enthusiast in your family. Now through January, use the promo code HOLIDAY to get free shipping in the U.S. or Canada. And from all of us at Slingbow Industries, have a safe, joyous, and peaceful holiday season.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: All right, let's go back again to the research that we're covering here. And Chris is talking, of course, about work on the San Luis Valley Camera Project. But before we go on, Chris, as of today, we haven't heard from the other projects, UFO data and any of the other ones that were supposed to set monitoring facilities. Have we? Uh,
2: no news on the UFO data front. Um, I haven't heard really hiding nor hair from Mark D'Antonio or Douglas Trumbull about um, where they're at with uh, UFO TOG. Of course, we have um, Hazdelen that's still chugging along and has been for 30 plus years. Uh, I haven't heard of any real new developments on that particular front. Um, again, as Jan pointed out earlier, we are at a point in history and in the development curve, in uh, technological development curve, that we have access. And, you know, there's gear out there that's affordable that uh, we can use and utilize as long as well trained individuals, uh, you know, dedicated. To uh, monitoring these uh, this equipment, uh, we have the ability, and and we've ID'd, I think, the spots where this gear could be set up, and with some due diligence and people tasked with, uh, you know, obviously doing the work properly. Um, I, I think that this is the obvious step forward, and, and I'm, I'm, I know Jan agrees because Mufon has been very, very supportive, enthusiastically supportive, and um, you know, one one very. A wonderful, uh, you know, dedicated member of on there in California has been extremely instrumental in all the progress that we've been able to make with our project. And, you know, we now have workable detect motion, record on motion, and triangulate to motion is now the, the project that uh, Ron Ulrich is now engaged in, um, uh, allowing uh, multiple cameras to be involved in a, a um, you know, a tracking uh, program. But we do have the software now, and it's 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 been developed from from the ground up, and it's very very exciting and extremely frustrating that it's not operational. Uh. Well, you know, and that's a good point because uh,
7: Ron is just an incredible engineer. Uh, God, I'll say came came out of the industry and. And, and as, you, as you know from Wayne Hall back in the, the days when you were involved with helping put that together, the big, the big problem we had was being able to track these objects across the sky with a camera. And Ron solved that, that problem uh, with some software that he had personally written. And I was able to uh, meet with Ron uh, not too long ago, and we, we actually got him some funding to uh, put one of these cameras, a test camera, uh, right. in, a, in a location And if if we can get this to work, we may be able to get this funding to uh, do it in other locations. So, But, you know, probably just start simple. Start in one location. There's no better location that I know of than the San Luis Valley. (laughs) to start monitoring because from what my wife's relatives tell me, they're seeing stuff all the time out
2: there. It's commonplace, and it's It's so common common that it's part of their reality, and people don't think it's a big deal there. It just still blows my mind.
7: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: I use the example of the farmer that grabbed me in the supermarket and said, Chris, oh, I'm glad I ran into you. Man, I meant to call you, but I know you're busy. I I didn't want to bug you, but you should have seen the thing that landed in my back 40. And I'm like, what? And you didn't call me because of why? Oh, I know you're busy. Uh, You know, I know you got so much going on and I figured I'd run into you at some point. And it was like, because it landed in his, you know, his back 40, it was a big deal. But when stuff flies by, people go, oh, there's another one. You're right they are
7: very nonchalant. It's like <laughs> you know, it's normal to have a flying saucer sitting on the roadway, blocking your way.
2: You know? <laughs> you know, when you tell that to people, you know, jam they look at you like, "What are you nuts? Get out of here!" They think you're just making this stuff up. But I'm telling you, it's uh, go ahead, move there for a while. You'll spend six months. Well, you remember, and you remember
7: then, when John Schuster was the executive director? Of course, he was he, one of my first fans. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, but he but he used to run all the symposiums up in Denver back back in the day, and and so I, I got to travel there quite a bit. And when we would go up there, we would have these family reunions from on my wife's side of the family, and we'd go sit with you know twenty five, thirty people, and they would find you know, no, oh, you're here for a UFO conference. Well, let me tell you my story. I mean, literally, I mean, <laughs> every one of them had a, their own UFO story. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can remember remember her aunt. Saying, yeah, I was driving down the road one day, and all of a sudden there was this hundred-foot saucer sitting on the roadway blocking me. I had to sit and wait till it left so I could continue on. <laughs> I'm thinking, it. I mean, could you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, it's like really
2: okay. <laughs> imagine if that happened in freaking Costa Mesa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you know, you're just say, like, well, where was your camera, man? We need a camera. This picture,
7: <laughs> yeah. So.
2: Well, that's what's good about the cell phone, uh, you know, uh, yeah. technology now, you know, th- whatever the uh, control mechanism that's behind these these craft, they're, they're keeping them uh, f- a little further away from people now because they know darn well if they get closer, someone's going to get a really good shot at some point. And it's inevitable. It's going to happen, I-, I think.
1: I had kind of a theory here, which is you have this collection of UFO photos and movies, a lot of them on YouTube. And I'm kind of wondering here, because it's so easy to fake a photo these days, we have all the tools, we have smartphone cameras with 4K capability. And I'm thinking here, you know what? Some of those could be real and they'd be there in plain sight and you wouldn't recognize them because you're
2: so overwhelmed with the fakes. That's why someone like Ray Stanford is absolutely crucial because he can look and find the little red flags that he knows are there that can instantly determine whether a a photograph or a, a section of footage is real or not. And I really, really suggest, Jan, before we lose Ray, to get him speaking at MUFON. He is ready to go. I mean, he's already been presenting to scientists at Goddard, and he's about ready to pop right now. He's currently being featured in this month's National Geographic for his hobby, which is uh, you know the, his dinosaur track work. Right. I mean, how many people have you had at Mufon that have been in National Geographic?
7: Look, I know Ray very well, and he's outstanding uh, investigator from many years ago, and, and currently still doing investigations. Uh, I've actually invited him to speak, uh, so I'd love to have him come. Well, talk Well, put at the, one of put
2: our the invitation through me this time instead of from a woman who made it sound like it was a local chapter of Mufon. And Ray, Ray's, you know, he he doesn't get out enough and and he he needs help. And that's why I, I, I I do urge any sort of communication, official communication about, about gigs and that sort of thing to, to go through either myself or Ben and Tony. Uh, uh, because, uh, Ray, he's just not used to it. You know, he's so wrapped up in his analytical work and his, his other work. And plus he's been having health issues. So, you know, he's getting up there. He's in his early eighties now. So we need, we really need to jump on, on this. And, uh, Supposedly, I'm going to be going out there and videotaping all his presentations for posterity to get all this information down, in case he uh, he checks checks off this mortal coil. Uh, but it would be great to uh, to get him to present at the next MUFON symposium because it's right down his alley. It's it's something that he would be, uh, I think, uh, uh, tag teaming with Ben Moss and Tony Angeli. I think we could actually uh, twist his arm enough to get him to present. And he's he's been fine tuning his presentations now so that uh they're in manageable chunks (laughs) okay well let's let's talk about it um, i'm wide open for that yeah because boy i'll tell you there's a lot of people that know about ray and he put some butts in the seat he would yeah
7: no he's great i've read his books and his book and uh i i have great respect for ray
1: by the way i did look him up online it claims he's 79 but 79 (laughs) is a new 60s so we shouldn't worry about that We've got Jan Harzan and Chris O'Brien and Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paragast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
19: Message and data rates may apply. Oh my gosh, that's Frank Thomas. No. Yes, that's him. Go ahead. Excuse me, are you Frank Thomas? Yes, I am. I bet you get recognized a lot.
4: I was a pretty good ball player.
19: You
2: were? Some people thought so.
19: Sorry, we recognize you from those Nugenics
2: commercials. Oh yeah? That's great.
19: So does Nugenics really work?
2: Oh yeah, I really can feel the difference. My workouts are better and I feel a lot more energetic.
19: I wish my husband would use Nugenics.
2: It's so easy to get started. All you have to do is send one simple text.
4: Text the word PRIME44 to 425. 424. For a complimentary bottle of award-winning Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Its unique man-boosting formula is powered by testophen, a patented key ingredient clinically researched to help a man feel stronger, leaner, more energetic, and more passionate. And you're going to like the difference too. Text PRIME44 to 42424 for a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. Samples are not available in stores. Text PRIME44
5: to 42424. Attention, type 2 diabetics. If you or a loved one has taken Invokana, Invokamet, or Invokamet XR or other inhibitors for type 2 diabetes and suffered amputation of the toes, feet, or legs, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. The FDA has warned that Invokana, Invokamet, or Invokamet XR and other inhibitors for type 2 diabetes cause an increased role in amputations of the toes, feet, and legs. If you or a loved one has taken Invokana, Invokamet, or Invokamet XR or other inhibitors
20: This is Micah Hanks
0: of The Lean Report, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So maybe here we get Ray back on The Paracast. We could, you know, encourage him to do something.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, he operates, I think, influencing Ray, and, and it's a process. You can't just, you know, kind of like, Put him on the spot publicly and say, "Ray, you got to do this," uh, because then he, he recoils. Uh, it's it, you kind of annoying Ray as well as I do, and I've known him for quite a number of years now, and I've got his entire you know UFO life history all written down, unpublished, and it's going to be sitting there gathering dust until he gives me permission to publish it, which I can't wait to do. But there, there is a way to to. Work with Ray and get him enthusiastically involved in 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 a process as opposed to uh you know kind of putting him on the spot he doesn't doesn't respond well to that so
7: yeah i i have spent many hours speaking with him on the phone and uh, yeah. you have to be very careful with him so but but that said, I mean he does some great information i mean uh, my gosh, he was right on the ground floor of the uh, Lonnie samora case right so i'll say sixty four or whatever happened and uh, just Phenomenal researcher. We'll we'll lose a good one when he goes, but
2: yeah. well, to have Kevin Randall acknowledge uh the the, the really good job they did on Socorro. I mean Kevin doesn't really give compliments out very <laughs> they're few and far between and, and he did say that, that Ray did a, a really good job on that case, being a, a fairly young guy at the time. I mean he was only in his twenties, so Right. Yeah, I, and I do think that the, that the theme of uh this coming symposium where's it gonna be this year, by the way?
7: well in 2018 it'll be in philadelphia i'm almost thinking he'd be better on our 50th anniversary one in 2019 which will probably be back in los angeles
2: well uh, then you have the the whole thing of travel see he could do philly uh uh, easy because it's a hop skip and a jump for him he's very very reluctant to fly now so that would be something to to factor in there there's amtrak Mm, that's true (laughs) just teasing (laughs) you could stick him on a tramp steamer through the panama canal
7: we actually do have one of our members who won't fly, so they take the train everywhere. So, yeah. I think
2: that's like, well, Amtrak to
1: Philadelphia is yeah. a pretty easy Ray trick.
2: Ray would drive. I mean, come on, it's only a two and a half hour drive for Ray from from Berwyn Heights. I mean, come on, Philly's just up to up ninety five. You know. Look, I'm open, so we will we should discuss that. Very good, very good. I'm glad well, to hear that. Well, I'm glad we're saying the
1: schedule. You know, I want to talk to you about this, Jan. As we see, Kevin Randall is doing something which I think is very commendable, which is to go back and look at older UFO cases and try to re-examine the evidence and see where things lie. So he came out with this book, Roswell in the 21st Century, where with the Roswell case, some of the things about it, We're not as certain as before that he still feels something weird happened, but things like possible alien bodies, not so certain anymore about that because the evidence is just not there. He went back, of course, to Sicaro and he came out with a lot of solid information, basically enhancing what we know about the case and also demolishing some of the skeptics who have tried to find ways to disprove it. Especially pointing out that the head of Project Blue Book at the time made an extraordinary effort to disprove that case and tried to look for possible test aircraft. Everything. Could not do it. Really tried. And also,
2: the statements that Hynek made, that that was the first time that he really started to to see a reversal in his thinking, was the uh, 65 Socorro case. Exactly.
1: It was one of those compelling cases and that's an interesting thing here we could think about with MUFON. We have one guy, Kevin Randall, going through all these old cases. Do you have the personnel to do something like that? You know, go through the most important cases of yesteryear, give them a second look and see where they fit with the overall picture?
7: Well, it's interesting you you say that because I was just on the phone with Roger Marsh yesterday and we were talking about our January issue for the MUFON Journal now, this is not to the level you're talking, but but uh, one of the things we wanted to do was you know take the top 10 cases of all time and feature them in the journal because there's so many great
2: cases back oh, there. wow. That you
7: would know,
2: be rough. <laughs> that would be tough to do. Yeah, well, I don't know how you do that in 24 pages. But, but just to determine what those cases are is what I'm talking about.
7: Oh, I know. I know. You could probably come up with the first five or six, and after that, you'd really have right.
2: to. Right. Then them, it would you know? be really up to personal opinion, I guess. Well, Exactly.
7: I like that. Then you get people arguing about it was at the right ten, you know. I said, I, your question, Gene, is you know go back and look at these things. The, the answer is absolutely we could. You need to put together a team of people, or maybe multiple teams of people, and give them each a case to go work on. The problem with a lot of these older cases is that the evidence is so old or, or no longer can be found that you have a hard time digging into it. So one thing I've found about the UFO field is it's easy to um, discredit cases because it's just so strange what you see and what you hear and people all want that physical piece of the craft or whatever it is uh and even when people bring the physical piece of the craft they still challenge it and say it's not so so it's just it's kind of the sign of the times is there a particular case you think we should go look at or go dig dig into i think any
1: case that's considered an unknown that's gotten a lot of attention deserves a second look
7: my my three favorite case, I mean, obviously Roswell's off top of everybody's list, but I thought Stan Friedman did a great job back 20, 30 years ago when he put together the the movie um, Recollections of Roswell. And I, I think it was him that the voice is on the tape sounds like Stan's voice, um, and he interviewed 30 first-hand and second-hand witnesses. You know, the children of the people who were saw it, and the, also the people who saw it. It, it, it was pretty compelling cases something significant had happened down there um, the other one I like is the uh, uh, the ICBM you know uh, cases where where you know military people in in the bunkers who were hands on the controls to launch the missiles actually watched them go offline as the security people upstairs were telling them that there was craft over the base I mean that is extremely significant and, and documented in air force documents
2: so right and we have cases as recently i think is what 2009 and, or 10
7: yes yes yeah i mean this, this stuff continues to happen you know so there's somebody who's not happy with how we're playing with <laughs> nuclear weapons uh pointing them at each other trying to blow each other up i, I was wondering if north korea ever launched an attack against the United States. Who would knock the missile out of the sky first? (laughs) Us or the... (laughs) I don't think
1: if we are being visited by space visitors, though, that they even care. Maybe with nuclear weapons they might, but you have so many thousands of people dying around the world for one thing or another, and they're not doing anything about it.
2: Well, in their eyes, it may may not be necessarily a bad thing because, you know, we are the most detrimental force on this planet. Right. And what may be of interest to the visitors, if that's what they are, is the amazing biodiversity and the, the wonderful web of life that we have here that we are putting in jeopardy but with our very uh, you know progress. But go back
7: to the beginning of this broadcast where we were talking about the possibility that maybe these things are actually from here. They're not from out there. They're from here. And, and if this is actually their domain... And we're and we're messing it up by blowing off nuclear weapons. Uh, maybe that's not something they want to have happen. Who knows? I mean, who knows what the answer is? But uh, uh, it's 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 interesting to think about and and to know that this actually happened because my understanding from talking to one of these individuals who was in that control room, un, you know, sixty feet under the ground, but between four layers of concrete and steel. Uh, Was that um, when an inquiry happened, uh, because the general was upset that the missiles all went offline, that they didn't like the report that came back from Boeing, and they destroyed the report. Because essentially the report said we can find nothing wrong with the systems here that would have caused them to go offline. So some external force, such as this thing that was seen, had to have been been what what affected it. Well, they didn't want to hear that. That wasn't what they wanted to hear. They, They wanted to hear that somebody had made a mistake switch to switch wrong or whatever and turn these missiles off you know but uh, let's do our break
1: final segment with jan harzan with gina and chris you're in the Paracast.
8: thank you for listening to gcn
1: TechNightOwl.com slash
0: host.
6: This just in, before your doctor gives you another antibiotic prescription that you don't want. Get this free report, The Miracle of Garlic, Your First Home Medicine. This free report is filled with easy kitchen remedies for common colds, flus, sore throats, ear infections, and more. Plus, learn to boost your immunity before you get sick. Go now to GCNWellness.com, just like it sounds. GCNWellness.com to get your free report, The Miracle of Garlic. Click GCNWellness.com.
4: Most people think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But did you know you can have tax-free access to your life insurance while you're still alive? You can use the life benefits of your life insurance to grow your money with certainty and guarantees. No stock market risk, no tax risk, and no penalties. Call Life Benefits if you'd like a free book about how this can be done. Call 702-660-7000. That's 702-660-7000.
20: This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Speaking of old cases to look at, not so old cases, Rendlesham. Yes. And I think partly in light of the issues with Larry Warren and his credibility, that's certainly one thing. And by the yeah. way, we've been in touch with a fellow named Andrew Pike, astrophysicist from the UK, who's written a new book with a new look on Rendlesham, <laughs> interesting new book that we're looking into, and he'll probably be on the next week or two. So it's important to take a new look even at that case. What's your take on all this, Jan?
7: Well, I try not to get mired in the the, the, the fighting that goes on within that whole subject. I, I think Rendlesham is probably in my top five cases. I, I think... There's enough data there and government papers that say this event really happened and the people, the, the recordings that exist of the going out into the forest and seeing the object, that it's certainly worthy of further investigation. And And this goes back to what we've known for years, which is that these craft are seen around military installations, nuclear power plants, and places where anti-gravity research is being done. And this this is right up that alley. Many, many, many of our cases come to us through military channels People who are in the military, a lot of times, going through war exercises, and they'll see objects in the sky above the simulated battlefield, if you will. But as far as bentwaters, I, I, I think it's definitely a case that could be looked into further and more in depth. Just as an aside, I had someone reach out to me and ask me if I could provide him with a video of that incident, and I I looked long and hard, and there's not a lot of good people doing documentaries on that case. I think it could use a good documentary, my my own feeling much along the lines of what Stan did with this uh, recollections of Roswell piece yeah. that I think is just an outstanding piece of evidence uh, that people can listen to and understand that something very significant happened there. There is a dispute over some of
1: Stan's stuff like
7: MJ-12. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's true. But that didn't have anything to do with this. this. This was strictly, he went out to Roswell and I don't know who all was part of that group when they did. And they interviewed the first-hand witnesses to the actual encounter Uh, This is some 20, 30 years ago that they created this video, which is now a DVD. Right. Um, I saw the listing online, and I was going to ask you
1: about that. What do you think about someone like Nick Redfern, who had this book, Body Snatchers in the Desert? And Mm -hmm. he specified it as something, an experiment gone wrong.
7: You know, I don't really know. I haven't read the book. Um, I, I know Nick's into other areas besides UFOs. He's a great writer and a terrific uh, friend to move on. And I don't have any comments specifically on that. I can't really say. so. I, I do have one thing I could put out there, which is a postulation, which is I had the opportunity to go down to New Mexico and visit some of these sites, uh, the Roswell site, the uh, Socorro site, some of these other reports of craft crashing back in the mid 40s through the, uh, I guess, to, through uh, mid 60s. One of the things that struck me was it's all within close proximity, of course, to, uh, well, ground zero, where the first nuclear bomb got set off. But also uh, Los Alamos and all of the research laboratories down there, which back in the 40s had some of our top scientists, uh, Warner, von, you know, Warner von Braun, who was captured and brought over from Germany, um, Oppenheimer, uh, Einstein, uh, Teller. I mean, these guys were all down there working on these top secret projects. One of the thoughts that struck me was, I wonder if a lot of these craft that crashed, and I'm just putting this out as a hypothesis, I mean, it, you'd have to do a lot more study in it, could have possibly been our own experiments on trying to back-engineer these craft uh, and get them to work or maybe some kind of a time machine, because the one case I'm thinking of where the craft all of a sudden appeared during an electrical storm and came flying out sky and crashed, and then little beings were seen on board the craft, but then the army came in and said, this, you know, this is a weather balloon, which is, I love that story, it's a weather balloon, it's a 30-foot a saucer, hard metallic, but it's a weather balloon, and hauled it away, if maybe this was some of our own experimentation going on, uh, it's just a thought, I, I don't know that that's the case or not the case, but it struck me that so many of these crashes and incidents happened all within a very small space, and all in New Mexico, where we happened to just be doing all these top secret things at the time, including building the atomic bomb and the hydrogen bomb, could it have been possibly something that these brilliant folks, uh, the Tellers, the Oppenheimers, the, the Einstein's, you know, the Warner and Brons, that, that they maybe were conjuring up as part of their experimentation, bringing some of this maybe technology even over from Germany as Germany collapsed? I'm not saying, it I'm just saying it's a possibility that
2: someone should probably look into. Well, Ron McGare, I mean, I, I must uh, interject here, his presentation about the actual wreckage in the, uh, you know, the General Ramey photos is really compelling because he makes a really good case that none of that wreckage really conforms with any parts list from any sort of balloon systems that were operational at the time. And instead of seeing a lot of string, which is what you would obviously see with a a balloon train, there's not one one strand of string, which would be probably the most prominent piece of of evidence that would be left behind uh, with some sort of mogul balloon crash or you know the radio radiosonde uh, balloon trains that they were they were using back at the uh, back then in the late 40s. And then he also uh, points out that there are some very very interesting symbols on some of uh, these kind of i beam looking thing pieces that are in the wreckage. I've also asked asked him to publish on uh, social media his uh, taking of the four and five different efforts to decipher the Ramey memo, and showing all the areas in which each of the independent groups of, of analysts all agree on wording. So when people say, oh, you can't read anything, it's beyond, you know, the point of resolution and all that, I disagree because, you know, for instance, Fort Worth, Texas, everybody agrees that that's what it says. Uh, Victims of the crash is another one that several of the groups all came up with, all independent of one another. By the way, I just wanted to mention here, when we had Kevin Randall on
1: for after the Paracast, we talked about this a little bit, and he said victims is not at all a certain conclusion.
2: I need to get Ron to go ahead and publish his... Uh, his. He had this one image that shows everybody's different version of, uh, of what they were able to glean from that. And then he comes up with a composite one that shows wh- where everybody agrees. And um, it, it would be interesting for folks to see that because quite a lot of very, very, uh, I think, talented um, photographic analysis has already been brought to bear on that memo. And a lot of people don't realize that there's been several efforts, um, uh, independent of one another, that have attempted to do that. And, uh, and Ron is the only person I've seen that's attempted to put all that together and show commonalities. And I, I think that that's, uh, that's uh, an area of reviewing a case, going back to a case, uh, as we were discussing. This is one of those types of of. of, of, of an example of that type of effort that uh, we may be able to do with other cases, especially more recent cases like Rendlesham, where there's uh, quite a number of people that are still around that uh, could have um, interesting information that maybe was taken out of context or, or not, not really reviewed properly. Um, and, and Jan, you're right when you think about it. There is very little footage from that time period um, at Rendlesham that um, has been made publicly available, and there's got to be more.
7: Well, and I, I was also thinking just the, all the researchers who've touched this case, uh, Linda Moulton Howe and others, you would think there'd be a documentary on. Uh, I thought there was. I, I, I went looking for it. And I couldn't find it. It just seems like a, such a good case yeah. with very credible witnesses on, uh, on a military base with, with documentation. You would think that we have something. Jan Harzan, please tell our listeners where we can find more of the stuff that you do. You can find it on MUFON.com, our website, or call us here at MUFON headquarters, 949-476-8366. We'd love to have you on board.
1: You can also find us on Twitter if you look for the PowerCast. Look for the PowerCast on Twitter. Look for two official, can there be any other kind, PowerCast fan clubs on Facebook. One is a community. One is a group. And you can decide which one you like. Pick your own poison, as some might say. We have a second radio show. We have a second radio show that enhances the Paracast. It's called After the Paracast. It can be color commentary. It could be extended interviews like we've done with Paul Kimball and John B. Alexander and Micah Hanks and Kevin Randall and others. It can be also really special interviews like monty shriver someone who lived in aztec new mexico in 1948 and can assert that nothing happened there no ufo crash occurred all this and more if you subscribe to the powercast plus at plus dot com. that's p-l-u-s dot we have low subscription rates check it out Jan harzen thank you for
7: joining us on the powercast Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.